We're just a few days away now from New Year's, or a day away actually from New Year's Eve. It's a time of year that many of us are prone to reflect over the last year and anticipate the next. It's what naturally happens in this transition. Some of us are saying, you know, thank God 2012 is over. Others of us are wondering, like, wow, where'd the year go? I have a theory uh, about the passing of time. You'll, you'll, you'll discover a number of my theories if you hang around here for any length of time. I have a theory about the passing of time. The older you are, the lesser percentage of, of your life a year represents. Therefore, generally speaking, the faster with which it passes. Uh, I can tell that was really impactful this morning. Uh, <laughs> let's contrast that to say, for instance, to a kid uh, for whom 12 months a year may represent a fourth or a fifth or a tenth of their lifespan. And, you know, like in that case, waiting a week for Christmas seems like eternity, right? Well, okay. Your presence here tells me something this morning. It tells me that you want to grow personally. And spiritually, you have a desire to change, to look more like Christ, or perhaps you're on a journey of sorting things out, wondering about God, life, and the Bible. And and your presence is, is indicative of that. Um, it's why we drag our tired bodies out of bed. If we have children, we bother to get them ready. We exert the effort to gather to, together with uh, people in a church family. Uh, on a Sunday morning. It's not just because it's a habit or it's something we've been taught to do. You know, the reasons that are compelled by duty on gathering together on a Sunday morning run thin after a while. You know, you could just as easily select to stay home and read the Journal Star this morning and have a great cup of coffee rather than doing something because you should or you ought to. And so being compelled by an inner yearning to more completely experience what Jesus calls the rich and satisfying life of God's kingdom is compelling. Uh, Jesus once said, it's recorded for us in John's Gospel, the 10th chapter, this, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Now, in the Peoria Vineyard, we've actually said one of our overarching missions, if we could call it that, is to help people follow Jesus and find this real life, the rich and satisfying life he said he came to give. And this isn't just a nice platitude that we want to put on our program cover or on the cover picture of our Facebook you know, fan page. We really believe that Jesus meant what he said, that he came to give us a rich and satisfying life. Other translations may spin that phrase, to have life and have it more abundantly, or life in its fullest measure. And I suspect that in your heart of hearts, what you yearn for is that, even though you may not have words to express it or wouldn't have said it in that language. The Apostle John, uh, who wrote John's Gospel, also expressed God the Father's desire for us to have an abundant life with slightly different language in his letter to the churches in 3 John 2. We read there, Dear friend... I hope all is well with you and that you're healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. I love Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible called the message of this particular verse. It reads this way. I pray for good fortune in everything you do and for your good health. 
and that your everyday affairs prosper as well as your soul. I like to think that that's an expression of God's desire for all of us who are his children in the kingdom. And so we're going to uh, now just pray together, and then we're going to kind of unpack uh, this desire and see how we can more fully experience God's destiny for our lives in the year ahead. Lord, we're grateful that uh, we were able to celebrate the Advent in this last month and that now at this last concluding Sunday of the year, you you give us uh, grace, soundness of mind and health in, in our bodies to uh, get up and gather together and to pledge our lives in love and worship and service to you once again. We pray the prayer you taught us to pray. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on the earth, in our lives, in our family, in our church community. Not just in this room right here, Lord, but even right next door with Vineyard Kids as they're learning and growing and experiencing your kingdom. Lord, we pray that in the in the year ahead, it's filled with opportunity and, and potential, that your kingdom would continue to break into our lives in the way you know each of us needs. Now put power on your word to our lives. It's our prayer in your name. Amen. In the spirit of looking ahead at the new year, I would like to share today just several words of encouragement that hopefully will propel us forward in experiencing the John 10.10, the third John 2 life. And those words are found in an Old Testament passage uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. It's in the wisdom literature of the Old Testament. If you want to open there, open your Bible app. We'll also follow along on the screen. It's in the clean section of your Bible because you don't get here very often. Ecclesiastes 3, we're going to begin reading uh, verse 1. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build up. A time to cry, a time to laugh, a time to grieve, and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, and a time to turn away. A time to search, a time to quit searching. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, and a time to mend. A time to be quiet, a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. What do people really get for all their hard work? I've seen the burden God's placed on us all, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Now, some of you older folks may have thought that those words were first written by Pete Seeger, uh, in 1959, popularized by a cover tune in, uh, in a rock group called The Birds back in 1965. Turn, 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 the name of the song, skyrocketed to the number one on Billboard's Top 100 and camped there for quite some time. Actually, the, the you may not know this, but the, the this song holds the record for the number one hit with the oldest lyrics of all time, over 3,000 years old. Now, the words from the song, with the exception of the closing line, were penned by King Solomon in a portion of the scripture that we call uh, wisdom. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes is attributed to Solomon, 
writing a collection of uh, sayings under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit uh, for life, wisdom for life. And I think it's safe to say that the Holy Spirit is indicating here that God ordains a season for everything. Now, one of the great pleasures, I think, of living in the Midwest is, is the very distinct seasonal changes. Each has its own beauty. And frankly, if you don't particularly care for the one you're in, just wait a few months and the one to your liking will finally roll around. But God has way more than four seasons. Do you know that? We just read the couplets right there. Uh, a time to be born, a time to die, plant, harvest, killing, healing, tearing down, building up, crying, laughing, grieving, dancing, scattering, gathering stones, embracing, turning away, searching, quit searching, keeping, throwing away, tearing, mending, quiet, speak, love, hate, war, peace. I mean, these are just representative of the different seasons that God may have in our lives. So my first word of encouragement to all of us as we face, you know, the vista of 2013 is to discover the season that you're in or into which God is taking you. You know, regarding the weather, it's very helpful, isn't it, to know what season we're in so we can at least be prepared mentally, if not otherwise. In the winter, we just get accustomed to blowing snow and frigid cold or cloudy or overcast days. And so we aren't surprised when they come. And we can dress and prepare and plan and, and schedule, uh, especially if we're traveling, our lives appropriately. And so I will encourage you this morning to ask the Holy Spirit into what season God is taking you in the year ahead. And I believe that we can ask God for this direction because not only do we believe, but church history has, has shown that God is a speaking God and secondly, he desires to lead us. First, God is a speaking God. In many, many different ways, God communicates to us as his children through prayer, through reading the Bible, through the inward witness and the voice of the Holy Spirit, through your life circumstances and God's providential control over them. He may speak to you through the words of people that you love and trust, your friends, your family, your small group uh, leaders. He also speaks through supernatural means. God may give you a dream or a vision, one of the um, spirit-filled words uh, uh, of uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a prophecy, a tongue and an interpretation. God has spoken through an audible voice. He may also elect to speak through a, a book you're reading or maybe a movie that you watch, uh, a blog post or by golly, a sermon from your pastor. Sometimes he may have to resort to using a donkey, as he did on one occasion, to speak. The point is, he wants to communicate with us. He is still speaking today, unlike a, a, a good portion of the church that believes the voice of God went silent when the canon of Scripture was completed. We believe that God is still speaking today. Secondly, we, we, we can ask for his input because we believe that he desires to lead us. We have to turn no further than the book of Psalms to understand God's heart in wanting to lead us. Psalm 32, 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I'll advise you and watch over you. Psalm 37, verse 23, the Lord directs or ordains the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. Psalm 23, 
says, the Lord's my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. And I love what Jesus said in John's gospel, the 10th chapter. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. God doesn't want us just wandering around, rather aimless, stumbling on our own, but rather he desires that we be led and guided. And if we have a sense of the season that we're in or heading into, we can more fully cooperate uh, with God instead of either resisting or, or questioning him. It will enable us to actually more fully engage in his desire to bring the John 10.10 life in 2013. Now, it's true that we'll not always know what season God is taking us into. It may be somewhat confusing. It may be a mixture of seasons or maybe one of transition. But it's been my general experience that God really does want us to know. He's not playing hide-and-seek, trying to, like, keep his purposes hidden from us. And so my encouragement is ask the Holy Spirit. If you're now not inclined to to approach the new year by asking him for his direction and season, ask him for his insight. I'll just share with you how it's worked for me. This is not necessarily a template that you should feel you need to own in any way. It's just illustrative, okay, just to paint a picture of how it works for me, my personality and my temperament, understanding that it, it could work radically different for you. But towards the end of every year, I begin to ask the Lord uh, for his word or his phrase for the season into which I'm preparing to enter in order that I can prepare my heart. And so then I'll begin to posture myself to actually listen. It doesn't really do much good to pray and then not cultivate practices where you're actually disposed to hear from him. So I'll pray and then I'll be quiet, I'll, I'll listen with, with the ears of my heart, I'll, I'll just observe life around me as if God could speak through providence or circumstance or people or, or some of these other methods I've already described. Um, and then I make a practice of journaling where I actually write down in a, in a book, a notebook, what I sense or what I think. And often the voice of the Lord, for me, is rather fleeting. It's like, it, it doesn't come with certainty or definitiveness or clarity. I kind of like, is that, could that be the Lord? It feels like it, it comes and goes. That's how I've experienced it. And so I'll write, write that stuff down. Now, some years I feel like the Lord, the Lord speaks very, very clearly. It's like over, over the last month of, of the year, it just repetitive. I hear it really, really clearly. At other times, it's a little uncertain and remains fuzzy, maybe for the first few months or that year. Uh, for me, hearing God is a lot like that. It's not a precise science. It's not measurable and objectively quantifiable at times, like as if you could measure it in a laboratory. Uh, it, it's it's um, it's not that God doesn't speak. It, at times, I, I'm bothered with the frequency and clarity with which people report that he speaks, because that's just not how I see God working, either through the pages of Scripture or in church history. But at any rate, I pray, listen, observe, journal, write, uh, pay attention to what I'm sensing and thinking and feeling. And very often it's a number of words or phrases, and I just keep a list of them in my journal. 
And, and I trust then that God would begin to narrow it down and give me greater clarity and focus. And then as that one word or phrase begins to emerge, I, I, I hold on to that word, but loosely. Moving ahead in faith, knowing that that word may help prepare me as I anticipate what the next season may may have. But I view uh, this kind of direction, a word from the Lord for the year, as really more of an invitation by the Holy Spirit uh, into the season ahead. It's certainly not a guarantee, but more of as an invitation to partner with Him in the year ahead. Let me just illustrate, though, I, I, when I say I hold it loosely, because sometimes at the front end, you may have a sense or an expectation about what a word might mean, only to discover at the back end, you know, what it really meant. In 2004, I received very clearly the word humility. And I thought, quite honestly, great. What that's going to mean is God is just going to parade my sin in front of the church, and I'm going to be embarrassed and humiliated in some obvious fashion. And so I was internally bracing for what humility was going to mean in the year 2000. And four. Well, little did I know that uh, within about 30 days of receiving that word, that the Holy Spirit would invite me into an extended fast, like a long fast that, and the longest I'd ever done at that point was like one day. And immediately after getting the invitation, I knew I had to say yes, because in the Bible, one of the more dramatic and consistent forms of humility is expressed through fasting. And so I didn't feel like I had a choice. I'd been conscripted from the word go. Otherwise, I might have more politely said, no, thanks, that's for other people. In 2008, I felt like the Lord said, follow me. And my first response was, well, isn't that what I'm already doing? I mean, I I was kind of hoping he would say, yeah, but... uh, Little did I know that that the significant and life-changing direction that he would begin to speak to Tina and me that year would require us to have already bought in at another level of saying, Lord, we're willing to follow you. Because that's really when God began to to more clearly direct us to leave uh, the comfort and security of life as we knew it to come here and plant this church. Last year, It was an awesome word because in 2011, I felt like God speak this fresh faith, fresh start, fresh eyes, fresh heart. I'm like, wow, that's great. I need that, Lord. 2009 and 10 were filled with a lot of change and transition. And I wanted like something powerful to hold on to. And that that word, as as uh, uh, powerful as it was, I, we saw, uh, I saw unpack over, over the next year and for it, I'm, I'm really, really grateful. That's really how I experienced 2011. So I'm looking forward to 2013. Um, maybe this year, Jesus is going to invite you into a season of developing closer intimacy with him, a greater sense of connection, perhaps through a spiritual discipline, uh, that, that isn't developed or isn't it developed as, as thoroughly as you would like? Maybe that's prayer or Bible reading or serving or solitude or fasting or worship or fellowship or giving. One of the historical disciplines is going to empower you to connect with God, maybe in a, in a way that you've um, not experienced to date. 
Maybe he's inviting you to partner with him in a season of barrenness or dryness where you don't feel like any of your prayers are answered. You know, historically, there are sincere followers of Jesus have experienced seasons in their life of what we might call the wilderness, where, where like uh, the winter that we're in right now, we just find it difficult to connect with God and to hear his voice and to hear answers to prayer. And I honestly, sincerely believe that God ordains those times in our life. And maybe that's the season into which you're entering. But wouldn't it be helpful to know that that's where God is taking you so you don't spend the rest of the year wondering, like, what's wrong with you? I think it would be very, very helpful. Maybe he's inviting you into a season of forgiveness or restoring a broken or or struggling relationship or to trust him more. Maybe it's a season of personal brokenness and repentance. Perhaps it's a season of generosity where you begin to trust God as you open up your heart and live with open hands. Uh, Maybe it's stepping out and serving him in some way in the church or even outside the church. Maybe it's a season of uh, experiencing a new job or a change in job or leaving your job and coming home or going back to school or or seeking to follow his training and direction for your life in some other capacity. Changing a habit, how you eat or exercise, attending to some secret sin and addiction or other behavior. Maybe that's what's on God's agenda for your life. That's the season he's calling you into. It could be one of another hundred or thousand things. My point in illustrating is just to encourage you to spend time discovering the season that God is taking you into. Secondly, I want to encourage you to embrace the beauty of the season into which God is taking you. In the Midwest winters, everything can look God-forsaken, can't it? Uh, it's cold. Often our days are filled with gray slush or dirty snow. 30 inches of frost on the ground, you know, locks everything up tight. The entire landscape is dormant and looks, like, forbidden. It may actually look like nothing really is happening in nature. But you know what? Actually, a lot is happening in nature in this Sabbath rest of winter. Cold temperatures are actually necessary for vernalization. You can Wikipedia that word and find it out. Germination, root development, all that is absolutely happening, but requires the cold temperatures. And even in a season like like now in winter where you can't see or measure it, there is a lot of growth happening in the created order. Similarly, know that in every season of our lives, God the Father is at work, even in areas where you may not be able to see. Now, one of the things that I really, really enjoy about the Bible is that it is so refreshingly honest in its record of God's people. I love that. It, it You know, it... it It doesn't sanitize their lives. It doesn't Photoshop out their seasons of rebellion or sin or disobedience or bad parenting or really poor choices. It just records it right there for all 
human history to read and observe. And it's also helpful to remember that what may take you 10 or 15 minutes to read actually took a lifetime to live. That's that's another one of my theories about time compression in the Bible. You read a verse or two, and it's a 40-year span of time. And we kind of lose sight of like what it must have been like to actually live through that season. But I assume that at least part of the time in those sweeping histories in the Bible, those people didn't completely know what God was doing in the season of their life. They didn't see his bigger purposes, but they had a confidence nonetheless that he was at work. They trusted him. They knew that God was working. The whole of the Bible, and especially the book of beginnings called Genesis, teach us that God the King superintends over all, and he's writing a much larger story in your life than we can possibly imagine. He's writing a big, big story in the lives of his children. Now, he's certainly not responsible for sin and evil, nor the unrighteous, unwise choices that we as people make, even the bad things that happen, nor did God predestine all of that stuff. But he is always at work. And you can be guaranteed uh, that God the Holy Spirit as, is at work in the season of life into which you're headed, into what, that he's ordained for you, even if you don't have a clue at the moment what he's trying to do. I often see that it's with the benefit of hindsight that you more fully understand what it was that God the Father was attempting uh, to accomplish in a particular season of our life. Some of the whys and the what's and the and, and the why nots and the what fors that we're prone to ask as we're going through a season often aren't answered until after the fact and we can look back. And we say, oh, now I get it. Just this week I was rereading some of my journals from 2007 to 8 uh, when I received that word uh, that I described for you earlier, follow me. And only now, Four and five years later, can I more clearly understand what it was I was experiencing and asking in those journals? Now, I think in part, this is what Solomon had in mind when he wrote in the text that God's planted eternity in our heart. But even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Did you catch that in Ecclesiastes? We can't see the whole scope of what God's doing. We know that we're part of a larger story. We, God's thumbprints on our life cause us to believe, even if we don't have language to, to accurately describe it. We, we know that there's a larger destiny at work. Uh, it's just that we can't see the whole story all at one time. Uh, we, we can't see the end from the very beginning, but we, we have a sense that we're a vital part of its moving along. Uh, We don't understand God's purposes in everything that he does. We just know that God is big, that God is other than we are, and that he is good, uh, and and that there's still a a great deal of mystery in his purposes. I've often thought, who wants to serve a God you can figure all out anyway? I don't. I want a God that's mysterious, that's much larger than I am. Now, in some cases, we don't know how long the season's going to be. Maybe he doesn't tell us. Maybe he, we, we don't know all that God is doing. 
in the season that we're in or or why maybe some of our prayers for a relief or his response and action in a certain way aren't answered. We, we may not know that. We may not even receive that kind of information in this lifetime. The book of Deuteronomy tells us that the secret things belong to the, to the Lord and the things he chooses to reveal belong to us. There may be things about our lives that we will never know. And then we kind of think, well, great, I'm not going to stand in line and get those answers to my questions when I see Jesus face to face. And I can guarantee you it probably isn't going to really matter then because our entire perspective will change in the eternal state. But we may not get the answers we're looking for in this lifetime. Nevertheless, we can be guaranteed that whatever God is doing, it is beautiful. Whatever season he's taking us into is beautiful. Verse 11 promises us that every season is beautiful. So my my second encouragement to you, friends, is embrace the beauty of your life season. I fear that many of us have bought into a lie that coming to faith in Jesus is a way for all of our problems to get fixed, all of our prayers to be answered, and to inherit what we in America call the good life. That's what we read into the John 10.10 text. The rich and satisfying life of which Jesus spoke and desires for us to have, it's not the good life of the American dream. That's the way we might read it, but I don't think it's what Jesus had in mind. The 1010 life is experienced when we embrace the beauty of our current life season in Jesus, regardless of its pain, its confusion, its discomfort, its level of unsettledness. That's when we experience the rich and satisfying life of God's kingdom. We know that Jesus is beautiful, and we know that Jesus, the beautiful king, rules and reigns over all eternity. And because of that, right now, in this moment, regardless of the season, we can have peace and joy and contentment despite our outward circumstances. Because Jesus is beautiful and he's our king. And the season into which he he has us is, is beautiful by his ordination. Now, right now, you might be saying, yeah, Ben, that sounds great. That's really pre- good preacher talk. But how in the world can I possibly do what you're suggesting? How can I embrace the beauty of the season into which God is taking me? I'm going to close by suggesting that we embrace the beauty of our life season when we remember three things. First, that God is always loving and good. In the middle of a difficult season, we may wonder, well, if God is so good, why is all this difficult or challenging stuff happening to me? I think that moment we've got to resist a temptation to believe that God is anything other than good. When we waver, we look at Jesus who is good. Jesus is God in the flesh, love personified. I like what John writes in his letter in 1 John 4. Dear friends, let's continue to love one another, for love comes from God. God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sin. If we're ever tempted to believe that God is anything other than loving and good, we're just compelled to look at Jesus, God's love in the flesh. God's love expressed on the cross is proof that God is loving. God is good. Secondly, I want to encourage you to embrace the beauty as you as you remember that God is always 
right here. Sometimes we wonder, where in the world is God? And especially when we experience a difficult uh, life situation. We may think he's attending some other more important things, or maybe he's forgotten about us, or maybe he just isn't around. We wonder, where is God? Actually, he's right here in the middle of it all because he promises us in his, his last breath to the apostles in Matthew 28, 20, be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He's right here. Where's God when it hurts? Right here. Where's God when it's confusing? Right here. Where's God when it's painful? Right here. When is God when the heavens are brass and it feels like the desert? Right here. God is always right here. He never takes a vacation. Thirdly, I want to encourage you to embrace the beauty as you remember that God is working all things for our good. Now, many times the circumstances of our life scream that God is cruel or that he certainly doesn't know what he's doing. Right? But the Bible reassures us that he's working all things for our good. The book of Romans, Paul makes this dramatic and powerful promise that we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I love what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 57. I cry out to God most high who will fulfill his purpose for me. The prophet Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the spirit, said the Lord's plans for us are plans for good and not for disaster to give us a future and a hope. Doesn't mean that everything that happens to us is good, nor does it mean that everything we experience comes from God. But it does say that God is working all things for our good. And we have to trust that that is true. God will use everything to take advantage of causing us to grow. He will will never waste any opportunity through the challenging circumstances and people of our lives, regardless of our season, to cause us to grow, to look more like Jesus, because that's his goal, that we grow up before we grow old. Now, when we discover the season we're in and we more fully embrace the beauty of that season, then I think we really live. The John 10.10 life, the rich and satisfying life, the life and have it more abundant life, the real life of God's kingdom, kingdom life, eternal life. Call it whatever you want. Uh, the Bible uses lots of different phrases. But I think when we discover and embrace, we have the potential to really live. We become more fully human the way Jesus intended us to be. We live in a rich and vital relationship with him. We live in vital community with one another. We give ourselves to the only two rules, which are loving him and loving others. And we we uh, are filled up with real life. And so, Lord, help us more fully embrace every day now as a gift from you. Help us discovering what it is you want us to be entering into and more fully embracing it. Help us, Lord, to treasure each day as a gift from you, to live, to love, to laugh, to learn, to grow, to be thankful, to help and serve others, to use what you've deposited in us to make a positive difference in the spheres of life you've placed us. Help us to rest in you and be content in your work in our lives, even though we can't measure it or quantify it or put it on a scale. 
Lord, help us in the season ahead to not always be worrying and fretting and stewing and planning and scheming and building and working so hard. Help us to rest in you. Trusting you, Jesus, to work the real life of your kingdom that you said you want for us to have is actually coming about. Now, Lord, as we give ourselves to worship through song and prayers and expressions of desire and commitment, and we give our gifts to you, tokens, uh, may they be these tokens that say we, we love you, Lord, we, we long to serve you and make a difference. Put your blessing, Lord, on, on those that give. Enable those who can't give, Lord, in this next year to, to reap bounty that they've not reaped before. We offer these up as gifts, Lord, in your name. Amen.